Those who are younger will not remember, but those of us who are older probably can well remember the old TV series. It was actually way back in the 50s, but reruns have been on for a long time. The Dragnet TV show. Remember uh, the old police drama Dragnet? Sergeant Joe Friday on Dragnet, and his famous phrase was, Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, ma'am. Uh, I see some puzzled looks, maybe not as many remember that series as I thought. But it was well known in his day, and that expression, sometimes you still hear people use that expression because it sort of became a catchphrase and was famous, just the facts, ma'am. Well, today, we want to do that. We want to talk just about the very basic facts pertaining to spiritual matters. We want to talk about sort of the ABCs, the, the very basics that pertain to our eternal souls. These are the kind of things that are referred to in the reading that Jacob did for us earlier in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. These are the kind of things that are referred to as the first principles. We need to know these first principles. We need to understand them. We need to obey them. We need to be well grounded in the very basics from the Scriptures. So our lesson this morning is going to be along that line. We want to talk about just the very basic things that pertain to serving God. We thank you all for being present on this beautiful Lord's Day. We're very blessed here in Middle Tennessee uh, with God's creation all around us. We're blessed spiritually by the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, and part of those blessings are the opportunity to be together and worship, uh, to be able to praise and honor and glorify God, to come before His very throne in prayer, to draw strength and encouragement from one another and so forth. We're glad that you're here I'm glad that you've chosen to participate this morning in these activities. Thanks for being here, and thanks to any and all who are visiting with us today. What are the basics? We're just going to ask a series of very fundamental questions and look to simple Bible answers to those questions. If everyone understood the answers to these questions, we would cut through an awful lot of the religious division that exists in the world because the answers are just that easy. They are just that simple. Let's start out with this question. What is the problem? What is man's greatest problem? If you were to rank the problems that exist in the world today, what would you put on the list? Would you talk about poverty? Certainly there is a lot of poverty. We're blessed in the place where we live to have a real uh, abundance of material things to enjoy. But there are places in the world where there's just severe poverty and people don't even have the very basic necessities of life very often. Or would it be disease? You know, there's, there's some horrible diseases that roam the planet, and there are people who suffer terribly from all kinds of physical uh, conditions and maladies. Would you put maybe uh, illness or disease high on the rank of problems that exist in the world? Or what about war? Unfortunately, there's just ongoing wars in lots of places around the world, and people, lots of people, are being killed on a daily basis. Or would it be the environment? Some people would alarm us to say that uh, the environment of planet Earth is being irreparably damaged and that we're going to suffer horrible consequences because of environmental concerns. What, what's the great problem? What, what would you put on the list? Any of the things we just mentioned? Something else you might imagine? No, those are not the great problem that faces man. The real problem that faces man is sin. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Notice all have sinned. All accountable people 
that are living in the world today have this basic problem. It is the problem of sin. There are no exceptions to that. And so the problem is sin. Someone says, well, why is sin such a big deal? Why does that matter so much? What is the, what's the issue here? Well, uh, before you can uh, label this as the world's greatest problem, you have to consider the consequences of sin. What is so bad about sin? Well, the problem with sin is that it separates us from our Creator. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. And so the reason sin is a problem is this separation. When you think about the powerful Creator of the universe, uh, the one who could speak everything we see and know into existence, when you think about this supreme being who has such power, then the idea of being alienated from him or separated from him is a very serious matter, and sin is what causes that. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death. It's significant that the word wages uh, is the word that's used there. Wages are what you earn, right? When you go out and work your job Monday through Friday or whatever shift you may be working, you, you work so many hours or do so many things, and then you expect to be paid because you earned the things that you, you earned the pay that you received based upon the things that you did. That's the idea of wages, and that's what we've got here concerning sin. Because of our sin, we have earned death. This is not talking about physical death. This is talking about spiritual death. This is talking about to, uh, after this life is over, to be permanently separated and alienated from God. The wages of sin is death. That's why it is a big deal. All right, so we've already said that all sin and sin separates us from God. But maybe uh, if I just do some good things, I can sort of offset my sins. Is that possible? It, it, some would maybe, I think, Perhaps a lot of people, in fact, view it this way. It's sort of like a balance scale. Sure, I've done some bad things. I've definitely sinned. And so those are on this side of the balance scale. But if I can put a number of good deeds on the other side of the balance scale, maybe I can even it out, you know, uh, so that my good actually is outweighs my bad. I've done some bad, but maybe I've done more good. It, will, will that work? Can I just do some good things and offset my sins? The answer, of course, is absolutely not. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And so there's nothing that you can do, uh, no amount of good deeds that you could accomplish that would offset the consequence of the sins that you've already committed. No, you can't uh, do good and earn uh, a reprieve from the consequence of the sins that you've committed. Well, is, are we just doomed then? No hope. There's nothing we can do about it. We're in such an undone condition uh, that there is no hope. Is it just that bleak? Is the picture that awful? Well, uh, the answer is again, no. There is hope. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so, uh, there is hope. And the hope is based on the fact that God loves us. Now, I don't know about you, but I consider that an incredible thing. That God could love us. When we, when we have violated His will and His law, 
when we have done horrible and despicable things, to think that God loves us is really incredible. But it's with His love, with His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, He's made us alive together with Christ. So there is hope because of God's love. Someone says, well, maybe. Maybe in general, God loves mankind. But do you mean to tell me that he is interested in me specifically? Not, it's not just that there's this general notion of God's love. But you mean he cares about me solely, individually? He cares about me? And the answer is yes, he does. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I think that this is amazing, and it should stun every one of us to consider that God cares for you, God cares for me, that on an individual basis, He wants us to be saved. He desires all men, and that means every single individual man. He desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So incredible that God would care about even me. Well... How does this proceed then? Uh, back up for just a minute to notice what we've talked about. Oh, you probably can't see that. Notice what we've talked about already. We've got a problem with sin. Sin separates us from God. There's nothing we can do on our own to solve the problem. But there is hope because God loves us. He loves each of us specifically and individually. He wants us all to be saved. And that leads us to know about Jesus then. Who is this one who is named Jesus? We were just talking about the love of God. And the love of God resulted in the coming of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Who, that is Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. And He was sent as a remedy uh, for this great problem that we have, this problem of sin. Think about that for a minute, that God would send his own son to solve the problem. Let's say that you're confronted with a situation where someone you know is in trouble. They have, they have a problem. Maybe a neighbor or some other acquaintance, a co-worker, uh, has some issue and they need your help. Would you consider helping them? Well, sure, right? I mean, I, I think everybody here this morning would definitely consider helping someone in legitimate need. That'd be the right thing to do for sure. But what if helping them involved the fact that you'd have to put your own child at risk in order to help them in that situation? Now, that's a step beyond, right? It's not just that you're willing to help, but you're willing to help even at the risk of your own son. And, of course, in the case of God, it was not only a risk but a reality that his own son would suffer and die to solve our problem. That really is amazing. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and He was sent to address this problem of sin, which we have. We could ask the follow-up question, how does Jesus solve this problem of sin? I think that's an important thing to understand. I, I, I fear that a lot of people don't understand how that Jesus really is the solution to our problem of sin. A couple of verses that will answer that question, I think. In Romans chapter 5, beginning verse 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. 
A really important word here is the word justified. We're justified by the blood of Jesus. We've been talking about the love of God. Uh, and it's amazing. It's incredible. I, I think it's probably uh, beyond our ability to comprehend in its fullest sense. God loves us amazingly. God is a great and loving God. The Scripture says God is love. So we definitely have to emphasize the love of God. But there's another side to God. God is not a one-dimensional being. He certainly is a loving God, but He's also a just God. And the word justified right there addresses the fact that God is a God of justice. God demands justice. Now, we've been talking as we've been going through here about the fact that we have a problem of sin. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all to address that problem of sin. We have the problem of sin. God's justice demands that there be a punishment for the sins that you have committed, that there be a punishment for the sins that I have committed. And the reason why Jesus is a solution to our problem of sins is that he paid that price. Did you notice that verse we just looked at? Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. So Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved when he died on the cross and shed his blood there. And so that's how Jesus serves as a solution to the problem. God loves us, but God's still a God of justice. There must be a price paid for the sins that we've committed. Jesus paid that price. He was a ransom for all. He gave himself a ransom for all. 1 Timothy 2, verse 6. Okay, now then, if that's the case, could we argue that if Jesus died for everyone, then it's, it's a done deal. Everything's taken care of. If Jesus died for all, doesn't that mean, therefore, that all will be saved? You just said he, he paid the ransom for all, so... Maybe we don't have to worry about this anymore. Maybe it's a done deal and we're all just going to be saved. The answer to that, of course, is no. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 13, Jesus was the one who said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there be, or few are those who find it. Now, Jesus is the one who said that. That's, that's not the common idea that people in the religious world have today. But Jesus is the one who said, only a few are going to find the narrow way that leads to life. So, in answer to the notion that since Jesus died for all, therefore all will be saved, absolutely not. Jesus himself said only a few will be saved. They have to seek and find that narrow way that leads to life. So, no, not all are going to be saved. Well, who will be then? Who benefits from Jesus' death? If Jesus died to solve the problem of sin, and he himself said that not all are going to be saved, then who will be saved? Who will benefit from the death that Jesus died? Can I? Can you? Uh, the answer is yes, we can. Jesus said, John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So notice the important word there, whoever. Uh, it, it's not the idea, and some er er erroneously teach that only, only select predetermined people will be saved, but the word whoever here implies that anybody can have this blessing and have this opportunity, but what's involved in that? 
he says, whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, should not perish but have everlasting life. So those who truly believe in Jesus gain the benefit of his death. What's involved in that? Is it just the case that I have to believe? I have to say I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Is that all involved? Is just acknowledging? Maybe just in my mind, accepting the, the fact that Jesus is God's only begotten Son. Is that all there is? Well, that's a popular religious doctrine, of course, and a lot of people believe it. But the Scripture shows that the kind of faith that God wants is a faith that produces action on our part. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Notice, you have to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, but you also have to be willing to confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. If we were to go out and take a survey of people today and say, can you be saved by believing in Jesus? They would say yes. If you went further and said, is it necessary for you to say so? Is it necessary for you to say that you believe in Jesus? Most people would say yes. Right? And, and they therefore are in agreement with the statement here in Romans 10 verse 9. You have to confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. This is in addition to believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So they would say, yes, we've got to believe Jesus. And they would go further to say there's, there's more. You have to confess your faith in Jesus. But the Bible says there's more than that. Jesus himself said in Mark 16, 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Jesus said you have to believe and be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So you have to confess, you have to believe, and you have to confess. Here we have the notion of repentance included. You have to repent of your sins. You can't continue in doing the things that you've done in the past. You have to turn from those sins, and you have to be baptized for the remission of sins. Notice the expression there, it's for the remission of sins. Some English versions say it's unto the remission of sins. You must repent and be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. So, in answer to the question, if Jesus died for all, and, and those who believe in him receive the benefits of his death, is that all I have to do is just believe? No, you have to believe to the point of obedience. True faith, true, true saving faith in the scriptures is faith that produces obedience. Well, let's talk a little bit more about baptism because that's a real point of contention and a lot of people misunderstand it. What, what does baptism have to do with that anyway? Uh, how does that come into play? Someone might ask, how could the act of baptism, getting my physical body wet, how could that have anything to do with the saving of my eternal soul? Uh, some act as though that's a very confusing thing to connect, but the Scriptures definitely connect it. Notice in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? We're baptized into Christ. Do you remember earlier we said that the blood of Jesus paid the price for our sinfulness? It satisfied God's judgment in regards to our sinfulness? How do we access that blood? How do we come into contact with the blood of Jesus? Well, here, Romans 6, verse 3 says that we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. Uh, 
at baptism is where we contact the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We're baptized into Christ. That's why it is a necessary step. It's not the only step, but it's a necessary step if we're going to solve the problem of sin in our life. Well, is that it then? Are we finished? Is the story over? Have we completed all the information we need to know? The very basics about serving God? No. There's some things that follow. What comes next? What happens after that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, He died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Notice, we don't live for ourselves, we live for Him. Someone might put it this way. When we are baptized into Christ, that's not the end of the story. That's actually just the beginning. And we continue from there on, not living for self, but living for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. In Colossians 3, beginning verse 1, Therefore, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. I like the expression there, keep seeking the things that are above. You've got to keep on keeping on. Again, when we're baptized into Christ, our past sins are forgiven, but we've come into a relationship with the Lord that requires our ongoing service and commitment to Him. Well, someone says, I, I see that. You know, As we said when we were starting out, this is not difficult. Uh, all these very basics of the Scripture are easily understood. Now, we're not saying that the whole Bible is, is so simple. There, there are admittedly some more difficult things to understand from the Scriptures. We're not denying that. But concerning our basic salvation, to know the things that we must do in order to be in a relationship with God, these things are not hard. Uh, is, is there anything difficult to understand about what we've discussed this morning? There's not, is there? I believe it's all very straightforward. Now, someone says, well, I... I, I, I I understand the points you've made. I understand the verses of Scripture that you've referenced. But I've got a, a one last question. Is there another way to be saved? Maybe I don't prefer what you've just said. Uh, that's not exactly to my liking. I'd like to do something different. Uh, are, are there any options? Do I have some options here? You know, we like options. If I was going to go out and buy a car, uh, they might even ask me, what options do you want on this car? What are my choices? I'd like some different things. What can I do differently? But when it comes to being right with God, there are no options. Uh, there is no other way. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so, you couldn't choose to be a Muslim and be saved. You couldn't choose to be a practicing Jew and be saved. Uh, you, you couldn't follow any of the other great world religions and be saved. The only way to be saved is to come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. These are real basics. These are the fundamentals. These are the first principles that we need to understand. Do you get it? The problem is sin. It separates us from God. There's nothing you can do to remedy the situation on your own, but there is hope. Because God loves us and wants us to be saved. He sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to make a ransom or a payment for the sins that we've committed. 
Even though He did that for us, that doesn't mean we'll automatically be saved. We, to benefit from the blood of Jesus, we have to respond in obedience. More than just believing, you have to comply with the instructions of the Scripture, including being baptized for the remission of sins. Then live your life faithfully serving the Lord. That's it. There is no option. Would you agree with me that these are the fundamental basics of the gospel? Now, the question is, what about you? Do you first of all, do you understand them? I hope you have. We, we've tried to put it on the very simplest possible terms that we could in our lesson this morning. Do you understand these things? If not, then we'd be open to your questions because the questions that you might have can be easily answered from the Scriptures. But these are the basics. Do you understand them? I hope so. And if you understand them, then the question is, have you obeyed them? If you're not a Christian yet this morning, you need to make that decision without delay. If you understand the basic truths of the gospel, you need to comply with them. We'd be ready to assist you, uh, to help you in your obedience, to be baptized into Christ, to access His blood, to have the forgiveness of past sins, to be put into that relationship with the Lord. If you've never obeyed the gospel this morning, we hope that you will. If you are a Christian already, but you've not been living that faithful life that we mentioned, that you haven't continued to do what is expected of you as a child of God, then you need to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing. Mm-hmm.